Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday, Hans Georg Hoprich continues his series in the Book of Acts. Today, we will learn of Paul's escape from his persecutors with the help of the Roman officials, and how he was brought to Governor Felix for trial. We will hear about Paul's audience with Felix and the charges that were brought against him, and we will see how he was able to rest and experience God's peace despite of the pressure he experienced, and how we can learn to rest in God as well. Now, this is Hans Georg. Today I'm glad that Hans Georg is with us again, and we will continue, and we're kind of towards the end actually, but not yet there fully, um, of, of the uh, book of Acts, and today will be Acts uh, chapter 23. It wasn't uh, till 1985 actually that we came across um, a different concept of time. I just want to welcome you all. Uh, to this service, we actually started, I guess, in time. Some were very punctual and uh, they came in time. Some, as we heard, they had some problems uh, because something happened uh, this morning. But anyway, we um, are organized through time and we would wonder Uh, you know, if our service here at Grace Church or wherever people are listening, when, you know, the service starts sometimes at, um, I don't know, 10 o'clock, sometimes just at uh, noon, 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, well, uh, it wasn't, as I said, until we went Uh, to Papua New Guinea in 1985 that we came across a very different concept of time. Um, because their service just started whenever the people were there. You know, we looked at our watch, we tried to be in time right in the beginning, and we were wondering, you know, but where are the people? So... Well, the service, they said it starts at 10 o'clock, but it actually started at half 11 or so, but nobody wasn't really worried. So please, my Austrian brothers and sisters, um, ever since this really made a difference and put a touch in our lives, and we need to apologize because oftentimes I see Theo waiting outside. Are they coming? You know, are they late or are they in time or what's happening? Well, this morning, I guess we were quite in time. And one of the things um, uh, people told us in Papua New Guinea and our African uh, brothers and sisters and Filipino and wherever you come from, not from Austria. If you come from Austria, you may put your new nose, you know, just anywhere else because you do not understand that kind of concept because, you know, we have one law in, in, in Austria. Time, exact time. Don't waste the time of your neighbor. If you waste your time, you know, you people get really angry. Oh, well, we Austrians say we, we get angefressen. Because you've wasted the time of uh, somebody else. Uh, and 
it's not fitting for our Austrian culture not to be punctual. Does it? I mean, I don't want to get too close to our Austrian brothers and sisters, but that's how it is. So when we were in Papua New Guinea, one of my pastors, he came along because he said, you know, I'm going to come at, I don't know, at 11 o'clock or so, I can't remember when we fixed our time. And he came at in the afternoon. So I was really frustrated, you know. I just could easily cut him into pieces. Sorry, sorry. Because he wasted my European time. And so, and I think our... Uh, African brothers and sisters, they, could, they would appreciate. You know what he said to me? And, and it's well known in the meantime because it's quoted anywhere else, you know. Europeans, they have a watch. Yes? But we Africans, we have the time. Isn't that true? Yes? Well, um, so this really <laughs> made a kind of a, had a touch in Margaret's in my, in my life. So when it turns in, uh, in uh, Eisenstadt, we uh, meet at um, 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, it gets pretty urgent, usually 5 to 10, and then we need to really walk, but it's too late already, you know. But we, somehow, and Please bear with us. It's very hard for us to be punctual. Very hard. It's near to impossible. So people really need to bear with us. And, and we realize that, but it's always late when we realize it. So time is not, you know, uh, somebody said time is not a commodity. It's not a business for us Africans, is it? For us Africans, it's relation. Long it takes. That's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter how long it takes, as long as we have a, a good relationship. We can drink our coffee as Turkish people, for instance, or we can drink a cup of water or whatever. That's the most important thing that we really need. We need to have a, a relationship. So the watch, you know, you can just throw in somewhere in, in the ditch, uh, but don't care about um, the watch, take care about relationships. So when it comes to, um, to the stories of the Bible, you get pretty close to kind of African style of time. And, and, you know, there is a constant reminder that time is important, yes, but in a different concept. You know, in a European concept, and I think in a Singaporean concept, very much the same, you know, punctuality is, you know, just the top you can get. If you're not punctual, you know, you're not reliable, you see, it's a different way of communicating things. Whereas in an African style, punctuality, yes, in some ways, but not in regards to the watch and the time of the watch. 
So one has to realize that. Yeah, I will never forget, you know, with uh, one of our Austrian short-termers that went to Peru. And uh, I may have uh, told you the story of, of it. And, uh, well, we got people ready by the dozens, you know, to get acquainted with the different cultures set up. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, she wasn't in a long time in Peru, maybe a month or so, and she wasn't acquainted with the time concept there. So she had, she thought she's got a, a good friend, and they just said, you know, we'll meet uh, at the bus stop at uh, 10 o'clock punctual. And imagine, our Austrian lady, 10 o'clock sharp, she was, sure enough, she was at the bus station. But the Peruvian lady, she came at three o'clock in the afternoon. In the meantime, an incredible shower and that poor Austrian lady, she got wet to the skin. And, and she was so frustrated. Now imagine, you know, there's a second thing on top of it, which is even harder. If you explode... Because your emotions are, you know, right at the ceiling, you lose about everything. Everything. So what could she do with that poor Austrian, <laughs> that poor Austrian lady? You know, she couldn't either go to the ceiling. You know, she was hot in her heart. Well. Time, yes? Time. And when we talk about time, um, the Bible tells us, you know, there are two things in regards of time. There is a, a time concept that is flowing, you know. Um, it's the chronology of Time. Chronos is the Greek expression of, you know, um, an ongoing time. But there is also some very specific time set when it comes to God's time. This time is very Austrian like. Because when you go and fly, take off to Nigeria this afternoon or wherever you go, uh, to Manila or wherever you'd like to go, to Zagreb or wherever you'd like to fly off. If the schedule tells you you need to be there at um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you need to have a, you know two hours international flight, take about two hours to get ready. But when you come at... Five past three in the afternoon to the airport. Do you think the plane will wait for you to take off? You don't see even the back of the plane, you know. The plane has taken off. So it's the concept of God's timing. God gives a marked time. A time that is exact. If you miss that time, you've missed it. So 
you know, even though we laugh about it, we had a good laugh, didn't we? You know, time, it's kind of um, specific. It is a time, and everything has an appointed time, really. And that's what the Bible tells us. And, and uh, as you know, we've done hundreds of funerals, and sometimes we, I talked about this concept that is presented to us in Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes 3, and it says a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Everything has a specific time. And I think we need to have that reminder. And when it comes to God's timing, even this makes it so serious, not to confront people, but if God speaks to you this morning... It's a kairos. It's a moment that you need to pick up. And this is serious. So if God is speaking with you, pick it up. I urge you. I beg you. The time may not ever come back again. So when we are with God's Speaking to us, we need to pick up. And, uh, well, we have seen this numerous of times. And thank you, uh, David, you constantly remind me to push acts through. But, well, you have 28 chapters or so. And uh, so I apologize. It will, I don't know whether you give me this time but uh, I think it, 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 there are so many important things the Bible wants to, you know, bring across through um, these chapters. So please bear with me, dear David. We will finish, God willing, some time. Um, but, well, this is it. And, and I mean, it's also a, a first-time chance for myself, you know, really go to the deep end in, in Acts. So I enjoy, uh, can you say myself? Or I'm, uh, you know, I appreciate that you, that you give me the chance to go to the deep end. Um, in Acts, this is a privilege for me. It's special to, you know, to just to dig in to the Word of God a little bit deeper. And Margaret said, Recently to me, you know, yes, I've, I've read and Acts numerous times, but excuse me, I think I might have just 
overread that specific story. I, you know, it's new to me. But that's what the Bible is all about, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, you've read it a, a hundred times. And, and true, is that's a new thing, you know. I, I've never seen. And that makes the Bible uh, ever so interesting. And when we look at Paul's life, he illustrates this specifically. There were times when he planted truth and other times when he uprooted false teaching very dramatically. Times when he tore down sin. Times when he built up God's kingdom. Times when he wept with people in pain and times when he laughed with them in victory. There were also times when he spoke forcefully and times when he was noticeably silent. Nothing. Yes, he had much to say, but he was silent. In our today's Bible passage in Acts chapter 23 and 24, it's about a time of silence in Paul's life. When he went under attack, he quietly trusted God. You may remember last time you really made it, you know. It just was a failure. The big apostle Paul, he should have known it better. But he failed. And um, I was so blessed to see that God wasn't a European God. You know, pointing fingers, you know, you failed it. No. God came alongside him. And he said, you, you, made a good point previously. So go ahead, Paul. It's good. He didn't dig deeper in his failure. And I think we, we really can learn from that, doing it with those who have, may have failed with us. Not digging and pointing and cutting people into pieces, cutting their neck off, but going alongside them in patience, in long bearing. So I think there are vital, I guess, vital lessons we can learn, don't we? I mean, that's, that's what the Bible gives us. So um, as we look into uh, these um, chapters, uh, Acts 23, we can see uh, all these uh, specifics. There were misunderstandings and falsely, he was, Paul was falsely accused by the Jews. Paul has recently been the flashpoint of a riot in Jerusalem, the center of uh, the violent debate before the Sanhedrin and the object of a life-threatening conspiracy. Now, escaping to Caesarea by night, the pressure is temporarily off, and he's breathing a little easier. But this is only a short breathing space. 
For in a sense, he is merely, and this is where we put, uh, where I put this kind of a uh, little bit strange headline, probably for some of you, between the frying pan and the fire. Uh, this is rather dramatic, but that's how it is, you know. And we may be reminded to some of our personal experience where we also have been between the frying pan and the fire. Let us look, first of all, at the Paul's um, escape and arrival. Paul's escape is like none other in his life. Uh, years later, he had eluded his enemies, as we read in Acts chapter 9, 23 to 25, by being lowered, you know, very dramatic, you know, lowered in a basket, helpless as a little child. This was the big apostle Paul. What a, what a picture, you know, helpless, lowered down. He needed the help of others. On another occasion, as we read in a couple of verses later in Acts chapter 9, he was escorted out of a town by a group of concerned believers, this time through uh, Roman soldiers, and escorting him to safety. What a dramatic change for his humble missionary. Now let us examine more closely what happens to the Apostle Paul at his flight. Not by a plane, flight by escaping. There was the Roman commander and the escort. The Roman commander who had ordered Paul's escort went to an extraordinary length to ensure his safety for the trip. He could have taken care of Paul, his riot control problem by looking the other way as the conspirators put an end to him. But instead, we do read in, in today's passage an incredible story. You know, all the effort went into taking care of Paul. Isn't, that's unbelievable. But you can see, my brothers and sisters, how God cares to the details. He cares. Um, and Acts 23, 23 and uh, 24, the two verses, it says, he called to him for the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready. Imagine this is for one guy. I mean, if you need to be blind not to see God's care for, for the Apostle Paul. To bring him to the point, to the very point of concern. This is your and my God. This is his extraordinary care. We believe in a God who cares. Who knows the details better than, than we know? Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour and, 
everything exact, and I'm amazed, you know, how things get together um, for the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Isn't that amazing? They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safety to Felix and the governor. The number of soldiers added up to 470 men. Now, if that is not astonishing, I don't know what else is astonishing. That was the effort, the over effort for one specific guy. And we need to be reminded this morning, this is God's care. Why would the Roman commander give such a VIP treatment to Paul a Jew? Perhaps the answer can be found in Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs 16, 7, it says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It may be an answer. Maybe it's not the answer, but I feel at peace with it. The recent serious quarrel with the Sanhedrin did not mean God had abandoned Paul, but rather God was there behind the scenes all along directing the otherwise Jew hating Romans to safeguard his servant. In fact, as we shall see, God will be cradling Paul in the palm of his hand, no matter what hardship lies waiting around the bend. And uh, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, says in Isaiah 49, 15 6, and 16, Can a mother forget the baby as her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born. You see the compassion. This is God, the God of the Bible who cares for the details, even in time. Though he may forget, that's what uh, the prophet says, prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. One of these hardships will be a trial before Governor Felix in Caesarea. He is the official to whom the Roman commander Claudius Lysias is sending Paul and Luke, Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, even records his letter to the government. Can you, I mean, it's amazing the kind of details that occur in this passage. And we read in Acts 23, verses um, uh, 26, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came upon them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. By the way, isn't it interesting that Claudius leaves out of his letter how the all, he almost 
scourged Paul before finding out he was a, a Roman citizen, you know. He just left it out, you know. He kind of, I think, he wasn't comforted, you know, comfortable to write that, you know. And, and oftentimes we just skip things, you know. We don't put in that is most important, we leave it out because it may cause some misunderstanding, and I guess that was the case here as well. And wanting to ascertain the charge, that's what the letter says, for which they were accusing me, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be excused over question uh, about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. And then I was informed that he, that there would be a plot against the men I sent him to you at, at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Now with that letter, you know, all the details mentioned there, with this letter of introduction, Paul is off to Caesarea and yet another trial. The in, uh, encouraged travels by night through the hilly, shadowy region, and we see it uh, probably in a while in, in, uh, on this map, um, just around Jerusalem as far as Antipatris, where the land is pretty flat and open and the danger of ambush left Behind, And as we read in Acts 23, uh, 31 and 32, here half of the soldiers returned to Jerusalem and the other half accompanied Paul the rest of the way to Caesarea. Caesarea, built by Herod, the great and named after Augustus Caesar, was the center of the government and the Roman military headquarters in Palestine. It is about just over 105 kilometers journey from Jerusalem west to Caesarea along the Mediterranean coast. I don't know uh, whether you can put up that map so that we have an, a kind of an of an idea how that road went from Jerusalem to Antipatris to Caesarea, uh, just over a hundred kilometer uh, to the coastline. And um, now we see the governor um, and we see Caesarea. In Acts 23, it says, and when these, in, in verse 33, and when he, these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the government, they also presented Paul to him. Now we can easily imagine Paul, you know, if probably experienced many a times, you know, you've hit the road for a couple of days, you come to the point as we were in Madagascar, you know, all the night through and lots of dangerous roads and at night uh, in uh, Madagascar, the window fall out, it was up the mountains, it was very cold, very cold. 
God in his providence, you know, this is our story of Madagascar. There was a missionary, a British missionary that gave us a, a towel where Margaret and myself could wrap us in. Otherwise, I think I may, I mean, I could have, well, have frozen up. It, it, it was so cold in Madagascar. Can you imagine? And then, of course, all the dust went into our face in Margaret. Uh, when we um, entered Antananarivo in Madagascar, she said, you're looking strange. What happened with you, your face? Are you an African now? You know, I thought I, you're European, but my face was pretty dark because of the dust and, you know, the, um, uh, the kind of things that were in the air and my nose, you know. I had a pretty good shower, but I didn't... Uh, uh, you know, brush my nose in one way, and after that, you know, my white skirt was black. So what's happening here? Well, Madagascar, through night. And so I can easily re- imagine Paul, you know, dusty all over. There wasn't a good, you know, uh, Austrian shower there. So uh, he was standing travel worn, chained hand and food. He filled, was yet filled with calm confidence as he stands before Felix. What kind of man was he facing in the governor's chair? You know, another opposite, a completely opposite, my brothers and sisters. You know, if you look at the history and background of Felix, you, you get crazy. What sort of man he was. And they knew the kind of man Felix was. Felix was an interesting and treacherous man. Nobody would really trust him. Nobody. Now why was that? Felix had begun begun a life as a slave. His brother Pallas was the favorite of, you wouldn't believe it, of Nero. Though through the influence of Pallas, Felix had risen first to be uh, a freedman and then to be governor. Uh, He was the first slave in history ever to become the governor of a Roman province. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus said of him that he exercised the privilege and the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. You can imagine what can happen when this is the case. He was described described as completely corrupt, deceitful, wicked, and as was capable of hiring assassins to murder his own closest supporters. This was Felix. Can you imagine? And Paul knew the guy he was standing at. This was Felix. Ruthless, involved in immorality, illegal activities, harmful and murderous. That was Felix, Paul's judge now. Would he view Paul as a threat? 
Can you imagine the kind of things that go, you know, um, like Margaret says, often a cinema in your head, you know, kind of a cinema film going through your head and you imagine things happen, they can happen, they may happen, uh, and so on. Can you imagine? And would he brush him off as just another fanatic? Would he thoughtfully listen to his defense as Paul stood before him in this pressure moment one can easily imagine how many questions must have raced through Paul's mind. What would Felix do? The governor examines the letter that was given to him, and then he says in Acts 23, 24 and th- 34 and 35, when he had read it, he asked from what province he was, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Notice, apparently the apostle Paul responded to the governor's questions with only one word. He did not expand. Silesia. That was the only word. That's the only word that is recorded here. That was all. He didn't expand. He could have expanded. No, this was a time to remain silent. Remember time, the concept of time. A time for restraint and self-control, for thinking and praying and trusting God. Now we look at the accusations, we look at and the witnesses meanwhile back in Jerusalem, the 40 plus men who had vowed not to eat until Paul was dead are getting mad and hungry. Eventually they realize their plot has been frustrated and Paul is safely away. You know, all their thoughts were destroyed. You know, they was kind of mad, thinking, probably recanting their oath. They eventually cook up a meal, you know, because they were hungry already. And at the time, got together to brew their next plot to dispose of Paul, taking advantage of Felix's wish to hear their side of the story. And finally, after five days uh, of conspiring to do something immoral, illegal, and harmful to Paul, they eventually had their audience, their personal audience with Felix. And we read in Acts 24:1, a priest Ananias came down with some elders with a certain attorney named Tertullius, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. Literally, the word describing Tertullius as orator, you know, he gave a story. His studies didn't go into law. What, I mean, you would expect that, but he was just an orator. 
such a person was normally hired as a professional speaker to make a skillful presentation of a case in, a, in court. His training was not legal, but just in giving some good rhetorical speeches. The Jewish leader wanted to pers a persuader, someone who could tell Felix what he wanted to hear and who could ignite fiery accusation against Paul while clouding all the facts. Well, Tertullius was their man. Now, what were the charges with, against Paul when Tertullius and the religious heavyweights arrive in Caesarea? Paul is summoned to the courtroom as the trial begins. The hired uh, rhetorian blows a smoke screen of flattery over Felix. I think very African. Yeah. As Europeans, you know what we say? We put honey around people's mouth, you know. You know, just to keep him calm, you know. Did, did, did you ever do that? When you stand, I mean, I was standing once in front of my king in, in Ghana, you know, but I didn't uh, dare to put honey around his mouth, you know. First of all, we were not allowed to look at him, and then when the sign came, we were allowed to look into his face, but I didn't put any honey around his mouth, as it were. Uh, I just respected him, that was all. But here in the story, that he put a lot of honey around Felix's mouth. Uh, that's something you would expect him to do. That's what they do. Since we have through, that's what we read here, uh, through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness, but that I may not weary you any further, I beg you, you know, can you hear, you know, lots of honey, lots of honey, more than I think he just uh, didn't listen to it, but the honey flow was, you know, they, he couldn't stop it really. But that I may not weary you out further, I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. Mind you, of course, none of this was true at all. Felix has ruled through corruption and violence, and the Jew hated him, hated his face. He was just lying, you know, lots into the face of Felix in order to pull him over the, their table of thoughts. But Tertullius is buttering up to believe the accusation he is about to level against Paul. And we read again in Acts 24, um, we have found in, in verses 5 to 9, we have found this man a real pest. And a fellow who stirs up dissension among the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of a sect of the Nazarene. And he even tried to 
desecrate the temple. And then we arrested him. And we wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. And by examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. We can identify, uh, you know, a couple of charges. I, I, you know, we don't have the time to go into much depth. We can say a lot about it, but I just want to point out to these charges, Paul was a political. They, these were the charges against him, made up charges, so to speak. He was a political tri- troublemaker, a pest. Secondly, Paul was a leader of the sect of the Nazarene. And thirdly, Paul was a defiler of the temple. Um, and indeed, as we realize, you know, by these accusations, Paul really went from the frying pan. He had jumped into the fire. Now, as we close this morning, do you know what is missing and what we do every Sunday, at least when, when I come? What do you want to take with you? So what do we do? Let's look into some practical lessons. What can we learn? You know, because the Bible, you know, it's, it's just there, you know, to be written as a nice story, but it's so important to take something out, to take a lesson with us that is vital and important for tomorrow. When we see ourselves falsely accused or whatever, So we learn a lesson, some practical lesson. At the right moment, Paul will launch a verbal defense. But for now, he handles the pressure by remaining silent. From this response, we can conclude at least two principles that you may want to take with you from this morning two principles. The first principle is refuse to wrestle, start to rest. When we wrestle, we panic to not think clearly and to speak in haste. Have you ever experienced that? You know, when, you, when your blood is boiling, what comes out of your mouth? Think a moment. I don't know. I mean, maybe my blood is boiling too easy. Yours may not, but mine boil. You ask Margaret afterwards. It gets hot. And then my mouth also becomes a little bit strange. Refuse to wrestle, start to rest. 
We try to find ways to pin our accusers to the mat. We concentrate on our strategy and rights. But when things are getting out of hand, it is time for self-control and silence. That's a lesson we want to take with us. A time to rest in God's faithfulness and to wrap up our burdens in a bundle and leave them with him. And secondly, release the pressure. Claim God's peace. Have you ever heard somebody saying, who will soon break the bow if you keep it always stretched? Well, the bow is not something we go still hunting with. But our uh, brothers around the world, at least in Papua New Guinea, they knew how to use the bow. And they certainly uh, knew that you overstretch it, it breaks apart. This is an ancient saying that speaks to us in our modern present-filled lives. In other words, we must release the pressure in our lives or we shall become irritable. We become anxious and eventually broken. The first step forward, release the claiming of God's peace. Well, really, the key to all of this is meditation, and I want to finish with that. And we saw it at the beginning on one of the slides, you know, talking the Bible is talking about this. Now, when we hear the word meditation, we sometimes imagine a person sitting on the floor with his or her legs tied like up, tied up like a Swabian pretzel, you know, like going down. And uh, you, you, who doesn't know a pretzel? You know, that's a kind of a Swabian speciality that you get uh, here as well. Tastes uh, pretty good, at least for my taste. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's a kind of picture. Let me tell you, that is not biblical meditation. But neither is the image of a person laboring behind a desk full of studying 10 pounds books. Let us define a fresh meditation, biblical meditation, because that is the help. My analogy would be a cup of tea. You are the cup of hot water and the intake of scripture is represented by the tea bag. Hearing God's work is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. In this analogy, reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are represented in an additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it sleep until all the rich flavor has been extracted and the hot water has become thoroughly Kind of reddish brown, you know, typical English tea. Um, ready to make some meditation tea? Are you ready? 
Let me show you how. Let us begin learning how to meditate by reading the first two verses that we saw already um, of Psalm 1. I want to finish by that. Meditating. What does it mean? Meditating. How blessed it says in Psalm 1 is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. It all starts with reading or hearing God's word. We then go on with meditation and end in prayer. This is because reading without meditation is really unfruitful. And, you know, it's told, you know, so many different uh, people tell us, you know, what meditation is, but not meditating on nothing. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't pin down on what you meditate you meditate on some sentences of some big names. No, here it tells us, meditate on the word of God. Reading without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful. To meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. What a great opportunity. We all have already started with Psalm 1. Why not continuing? I, may I invite you, because it's time of Lent, you know, the time before Easter, where we meditate, pray about our way through the rest of the Psalms a little every day. It is better to digest only a few verses, even a few phrases at a time to race through than to race through a chapter without meditation. Take your time, taste, and enjoy God's word to the full. May the Lord bless you abundantly in doing so. As precious come to meditate, to think, to release God's power through his word. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this testimony of this great man of yours, the Apostle Paul. We thank you that in times he blew the situation, you stood next to him, you encouraged him. Thank you that he, together with us, learned lessons for our lives. And as we do so, Remind us again and again that it is your word that we meditate on. Take rest. Get peace to our minds. Relate to you. And as your word hits some of the delicate points in our lives this morning, May it be a Kairos moment, a moment of time where we bow our knees before you and make it a time of confession.
a time to bow before you and confess. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your patience, for your readiness to forgive. We praise you and we worship you. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, help us to be reminded again the cost of it. You died for our sins. You raised again from dead so that we are reminded to the very same that will happen to us, raised from dead to you in your presence. We praise you and we worship you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.